there, Queens. I'm Dr. Leslie Branch. And I'm Lanier Logan, and this is Hear Me. Black women define the narratives that shape us. Hear Me weaves contemporary and historical weekly conversations to create stronger bonds and lasting legacies. Hear Me is a sacred space where we discuss and define narratives that shape and define who society says we are and find common ground on the things that unite us. She is me, I am her, and we are Hear Me. So, hey, 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 everyone. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us again. This is our sixth episode. And let's see what you're doing over there. Are you present? Am I present? Yes, I'm present and I'm accounted for. Yes, Leslie uh, Branch is here. She is present and accounted for. Oh, good job, good job. So today we're talking about the collective action politics and black economics. Can we do both? That is, it seems to be um, such a challenge. <clears throat> and it's interesting because I do think that we are people who can do multiple things at one time. But it seems like when we're having these conversations, they don't seem to be connected in terms of solutions. Um, so I think today would be discuss, uh, inter interesting to discuss. I'm sorry, I don't know where I'm at. And so let's see what's going on. What's going on in my Marvin Gaye voice? What's going on? Hey, what's going on? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so this is definitely uh, an interesting and timely discussion, the intersection of politics and economics. In the academy, we refer to it as the political economy. And our hope today is, or at least one of the objectives that I have uh, for this talk, is for our listeners to understand how intricately interwoven politics and the economy are. Tongue twister. <laughs> that was a tongue twister. <laughs> no, um, don't give me that look. Y'all should see the look that she's giving me. The very professor, don't poke fun at me while I'm saying something. So, no, I think that's a good objective. Um, I know, like, I really want to focus on Black communities identifying a role in an area that they want to participate in. <clears throat> I think for so long, it seems like we've, it seems like such a challenge. Like, when I hear people talk about it on Twitter, like, all right, you want me to build up my community and you want me to focus on politics and you want me to increase my earning potential and you want me to be great. Like, this is a lot, this is hard, but it's so odd. Like, why do we see it as that? Like, we're able to multitask everything else. Is there a reason why um, people feel like this is so hard? I don't, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think, Part of it is, is that people need to, to think about how the economy and politics feed one another, right? They're not, even though in the academy there are separate disciplines, right? So you can major in economics or you can major in politics, 
but really the two are not as exclusive as people think. Just like when we had our discussion about black wealth, income, although it is a subset of wealth, it's not totally exclusive. There, there is some connection between the two. And so I think if we start to think of things as interconnected uh, instead of as things, you know, as separate entities, it, it might make the task a little bit easier. And, and I think if people understand what politics is, again, according to Harold Laswell, it's uh, politics is the power to decide who gets what, when, and how. And then the whole notion of uh, economics is how a society decides they're going to spend or use their limited resources. So what are they going to make? What are they going to produce? Who's going to get it? And so in some ways, the definitions of economics and uh, politics are synonymous because it's this, it's this thing about a resource and how you utilize that resource to fulfill needs, wants, or, you know, desires. So I want to bring it back to something you said, because I think that's interesting. Um, we get to decide what we make. And so how much of that is true? Well, I think quite a bit of it is true, but it's true based on the political framework and based on the economic framework. So in a market economy, demanders are the ones who decide what gets made, right? So if, if demanders are wanting the next, if, if demanders, for example, are saying they want their smartphones to be even more fast, uh, faster and even more powerful, what is the market going to do? They're going to make faster, more powerful phones. So now, who are actually the demanders? Because from what I know for Black people, we have been the consumers for so long. Well, and a consumer is the same thing as a demander in this case, right? So the consumer wants something and the producer, as a result of the demand, makes it. And so in a, in a market economy, that is what happens. People demand stuff because there's a profit motive. From the economic standpoint, the producers are going to make it. If there was no profit motive, we would still be with the brick phones, you know, when they first came out. But, but that doesn't sound like it's... And I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm just trying to catch you before you move on because it doesn't sound like that's something that we as Black people are in control of. As if we're, because then that means that what is motivating these demands? If people are, if politics or, or things are being created for us to spend 
then that sounds like we're being manipulated because we're not spending in the right places. So if we are in control and we set the tone of the demand of what we need, then we're not doing something right. Because I don't see how um, a demand for better service and iPhone, just using the same analogy, how mm -hmm. that benefits. Like we don't benefit from that financially. We right. lose so I, because we're spending I, on the upgrades. Well, and that's true, but I would I would venture to say that it's not so much a need versus a want. And so a demand is not a need, um, or it could be, but in a market economy, it's really a want. If does does that that make sense, right? So you could probably still be doing really well with your iPhone four, and actually, to your point. There were some people who had older model iPhones and what Apple was doing from what I understand. It was disconnecting them bad boys. So. <laughs> doing something to make the phone go slower to manipulate you as you, to use your words, into upgrading, right? Because there's a profit motive there. And what I'm saying is, is that that's clear but the profit motive, like none of that benefits us because we're not the producers. So if you look at our spending, if we talk about like our trillion dollar in spending, that's majority of that is material things that don't build assets, that don't create, um, I'm not even using the proper term, but they don't, they depreciate immediately at the time that you purchase it. So we're spending it on, you know, cars, we're spending it on cell phones, jewelry, we're spending it and not enough people are buying like real jewelry because these rappers are buying figazies anyway, but <clears throat> we're not spending it on things that matter that make generational wealth. So my tip to that point is then we're being easily manipulated and influenced because our money should be moving more towards things that we have a say in. Right, and so what you've just described is uh, the, the economic term is conspicuous consumption. And it's essentially uh, expenditures or spending money on luxuries on a lavish scale in an attempt to enhance one's prestige. Right? And so image perhaps is an intangible asset. And so, you know, there's that. I don't know if I believe that it's the image that we're chasing when it comes to Black people as much as we're still looking to be validated or included in a well, place or in a society that doesn't really want us. Like, I think this goes back to us, you know, um, to us, you know, Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement and us not being segregated anymore and us fighting to sit at the same counters. I honestly think that all of those things are connected in our spending. Sure, we want to look nice. Sure, we want to have nice things. But it just seems like that is the motivating factor as to how we're showing up in the world and when we really need things, when we are really looking to build generational wealth and as a community pull together our wealth, we don't have it. We don't have it. 
our credits is shot. Not everybody, but a lot, a large portion. People are living beyond their means. And I'm not saying that this is, this is just a black issue. I think it's a society issue. However, I can't focus on other cultures. I have to focus on mine since we're already so far behind when it comes to wealth in this country. So it's almost like we're hustling backwards. Point taken, <clears throat> point taken. But back to, you know, what what you, uh, hearkening back to something that you said earlier, and I don't necessarily want to call it uh, manipulation, but the notion of a profit motive, if, if there was not a demand to be met, then the folks who make these things would never make them. Right, so we we talked about Kanye in our last episode mm -hmm. and his three hundred dollar sneakers. Mm -hmm. That the market will support him being able to charge three hundred dollars for sneakers means that there is a demand for them, because if there wasn't, he wouldn't be able to sell sneakers for three hundred dollars. Now. I don't know who's buying them. I don't know oh, if it's- We're definitely buying them. Oh, <laughs> we're, okay. we're definitely buying them. I'm not, I don't have a pair of Yeezys just partly because I don't support his, I don't respect his, um, his behaviors and antics. So I won't support that. However, we're definitely buying them. But so even with that case in point, it just sounds like maybe we need to be more of the, of the creators. We definitely should be, right? So in a market economy, again, it is demanders that dictate in some ways what producers are gonna make. It is consumers who tell the producers what it is that they want and then producers will make it and then consumers will buy it. And that is in a market economy. Now, is there room in the market for people to become producers? Absolutely, because there is a price point for everything in the economy. And so if you wanna make a shoe at a price point that is far above $300, there will be people that will buy it, assuming other things are fulfilled, like it's quality, it's stylish, it's things like that. Or even if it's not, um, the part, part of part of I guess the whole profit motive is building in what it's going to cost you to make this shoe. You're fixed in, you know, perhaps your variable costs, and then you build in a profit margin. And then that's what you charge. So you can recoup what it costs you to make this product plus some extra. And so that that's a, a great point that you make. Perhaps we should be more producers and sell our goods within our own community. So how does that correlate with the political economy, right? So if we go back to your definition of 
politics, what does that look like, right? Can we skip and chew gum at the same time? Well, I'm chewing gum now and I'm talking, so, you know, <laughs> I've got skills. <laughs> but um, I think we can do both. And, and in terms of how um, they're both related, it, it's so if you, okay, so politics, as we said, is the power to decide who gets what, when, and how. The what is the thing, right? The, politics, the power to decide who gets what. What do we mean by who gets what? Who gets some sort of a tangible or maybe an intangible good, right? How are goods produced in a market? And so whoever is the producer in that market and whoever is the consumer in that market interact. And so if you have political power, in some ways you can dictate to the market what it is that you would like to see. And so how this might work in our own communities, if we, in, if in the black community, we were able to control our own political uh, power, or if, if, we, if we had political power over our own communities, then we could come together as a community, as a market, and decide what it is that we need and or want, and then make those needs and wants known to folks in the marketplace, and they would produce the things that we need and or want. I'm just, something about that doesn't sound right. And I'm not, so this is not me negating the intellect of the professor, right? With I'm the, not always right, so that's but, okay. No, 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 because in my mind, I'm just thinking, that doesn't sound right because that's not what's happening. So I, so in my mind, I feel like there's definitely some missing pieces, right? So mm -hmm. if we speak about the state in which we are in in the moment, when I think about a place that I've come from in the Bronx, um, near Fordham Road, um, Burnside, I'm thinking about so many hardworking people who actually live there, middle-class people, who pay taxes, who work, who contribute, right, to the society, to city taxes, but they don't own their property. So in a place like New York City, most people, especially in the Bronx, they're renting, right? And I know that when you are owning a home, the money, a portion of your taxes and property taxes goes to the schools in that area to build up that area, right? So... And is that wrong, correct, before? No, that's, so property taxes um, definitely fund schools, yeah. Right. So we're already off in that notion when I think about the rates. So I'm not sure right now of what the rates are in the Bronx, but it's definitely um, one of the highest poverty uh, cities in New York City. I don't know about the country because I know Philadelphia is one. But how do you reverse that? How do you come out of that? Because we're, I want us to speak to where we are now and not necessarily um, 
the textbook definitions because by those definitions it just sounds like then we're doomed if we don't own where we live and our money that we're making that we work for and we're renting where does that go into like where we don't own our jobs we don't own um, any businesses and i'm not saying all because a lot of us are starting businesses we're, but we're not also starting those businesses and paying taxes in areas in which we come from. So now the business is not, especially if your business is online, you're not necessarily in the area in which that really needs the taxes where you can dictate what happens, who says what. So are we stuck then? Or do we have no say-so in what happens and how we can make this political economy work for us politics and economics because the way it sounds is like well if i don't have the money to be a part of the game then i have no say in politics but if we look at all of the communities across the united states that are um minority communities that are struggling then they're just asked out until somebody comes to rescue them no i, I wouldn't suggest that the the term the notion of the political economy is is really just the interaction between the two right so how uh, uh the interaction of the political and economic processes within a society distribute uh power and wealth between different groups and individuals so i i guess in some ways it it squarely positions people who have political power um, against or on the opposite side of people who don't. But that doesn't mean that people who don't have political power or who don't have economic power don't have any hope. The point is to act collectively where we pool our political and our economic power to move us forward. And if we can do that in such a way where we can patronize uh, people who are in our communities or patronize other black owned businesses, that could be a start, mm -hmm. right? So thinking about how things happen in other communities where they support one another and i'm not suggesting that we intentionally don't support one another but because there isn't a concentration of black owned businesses in a lot of black communities we are not able to support black businesses in 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 such a galvanized way however i am can i am um encouraged by what is happening presently and how there is a movement even on social media where people are putting together lists of black owned businesses that people can patronize and support so i i wouldn't suggest that it means that we're not we're we're without hope it's just a matter of getting organized in a way where we can even identify who those businesses are that we can support in an economic sense and then 
and then from the political uh, side, just when it comes time to voting, and, and this was in our, uh, I can't remember which episode it was where we talked about uh, politics, but, um, you know, it's, it's collective action, even in the political arena, at both the federal, the local, and the state levels that will make a difference in what kind of uh, political power or political outcomes we have. But, but again, this notion of, not notion, it's not a notion. The political economy is essentially concerned with political forces, influences on the economy, and then what, what economic outcomes uh, are. And they're very interconnected. They, they are not, even though they are exclusive, they are reinforcing. Politics reinforces the economy, the economy reinforces politics. Okay, so not enough of us own businesses in our community. So what should people do? The everyday person who doesn't have a business, doesn't, doesn't have access to a small business, how do they get involved in this economic political conversation? Because that's the part, the way you're describing it or the way I'm hearing it, it could be the way I'm receiving it. I just, I want to hear a clear step, right? And even if we could give that to people, what's a clear step? Like if you're not in that position, here's what you can do now. Because in my mind, I'm just thinking, one, being a part of anything political means starting from the beginning do you even know where your local city council office is do you know who's actually running um when's the last time you've been to a community board meeting in your area do you even attend do they happen right because these people run all the time and some people depending on how they're voting mm -hmm. kind of just go down the list and just check all democrats right? Which is a bad habit. Right. And it's now like we have to uncondition, you know, unravel from these bad habits and really get involved. So if a person is going to, because I'm all about the local vote, I'm still not interested in this national presidential. I just think it's like a huge circus and everything is coming to head at the moment. So I don't want to I really want people to feel empowered to shift things from where they are, because that's really important. So what can a person, what can a black, what was your question again? What can a black person do now? What is an immediate right. action item that they can do now? No matter their income, no matter their socioeconomic status, what is it that they can do right now in this space? to be a part of the economic uh, conversation and be a part of the political conversation? So definitely with all of the free online courses, maybe take a free economics class, right? And I, and I don't mean a 15 week college class, just, you know, a primer one, what the whole point of economics is. There are definitely some TED Talks out there that are no more than 
15 minutes because people have attention span, short attention spans. There, there are those types of talks that in non-economic jargon explain what economics is in a, in a simple and easy to understand way. People might, as you said, try to pop into their local uh, community board or swing by the local chamber of commerce to see That's what- important. I don't think people even know where their chamber of commerce is or chamber of commerce is and what it could do for them. Right. You know, there so there's that. Um hop into your local SBA and of course everything is remote due to COVID nineteen, but the there are still web presence. These places still maintain web uh presences or that's not even a word. <laughs> most, most activities are virtual. Dr. French, I said presences. No. Um, <laughs> you joined but, me on my Ebonics side. Yes. Welcome to Ebonics 101. We be toys. No. Um, <laughs> but um, there, there is so much that can be gleaned from doing keyword searches. And so those are those are real simple things. Khan Academy um, could be a, a place that people could go to. But but there 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 is information out there that people can avail themselves of to get a, a sense. And and I think this this goes back to something that you said in one of our earlier uh episodes people have technology and they use it for you know stupid stuff or you know i don't think stupid was what you said you said something but you have this power in your hands try using it anything you want to know you can find out on the internet right and and so i think it's just a matter of trying to find or trying to help people be educated in in things that they can find out that will help them now people i i will argue or i will put forth that people for the most part do have their own best interest at heart but the challenge is they don't have perfect knowledge or they they don't really know what direction to go in, right? So nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be a loser. A loser. Nobody so, says that. Do you mean that in terms of politics, economics, or just their life purpose? I think for the most part, people want the best life that they can have. But because in, the, in whatever frame they are in, Right, so sociologically, I'm guessing the argument would be, well, is this a nature versus nurture type thing? Remember the Eddie Murphy Trading Places movie? Yes. <laughs> right, and and uh, the the two white dudes, I can't remember their names, Mortimer and 
his brother, mm-hmm. Randolph, Randolph and Mortimer. Randolph, Randolph. He moved them off, right? They made this bet that if they took the worst of society and put them in the best of circumstances, they would thrive. And they, they made this bet, and then, you know, not to recount the whole movie, it turned out to be true. And then, but so, so for the most part, I, I believe with all my heart that people do have their own best interests at heart, but because they, there are limitations that they exist within, with whatever tools they have, they're doing the best that they can. And it isn't until they are exposed to something else that they can can learn how to utilize new tools, right? So in the example with Eddie Murphy, he was in, in that movie, he was, you know, framed by abject poverty. Did he see that there was more to life? Absolutely. Because it was Philadelphia, he saw the rich people going and coming, but he didn't have the tools to move from where he was into uh, the, the other class, so to speak. He, he didn't have, I guess he didn't have the, the knowledge, the book smarts or whatever. He didn't have the connections and so he didn't have the who you know and the what you know. Mm-hmm. When he was given those things, then he he was able to change his situation. And so because the economy, particularly in a market economy or within the political economy, this interaction between politics and economics, it in some ways shuffles away from people, power and money, and it shuffles to some people, power and money. And so the expectations then that are put, right? So then there are these blanket expectations that are put on all people, regardless of where you fall in the political economy, that you should bootstrap it. Well, how are you gonna bootstrap it if you don't have boots? Right. Well, I don't, so there's this other side of me that feels like, I don't think that we should, I don't think that we can compare our next steps to anything white. (laughs) Like white men have the opportunity to move in a way that we don't clearly look at 45. Uh, Had Obama been half of what he has displayed just verbally, lack of decorum, respect, like they would have brought the electric chair to his door and impeached him by his fourth week in office, the whole family. So we, I don't necessarily believe that we can go by their standards. Um, I also feel like looking for information sometimes for someone who doesn't who struggles with comprehension, right? And so this is where the conversation gets uncomfortable because we do have to talk about the amount of people who adults, that minorities, who are operating in complete dysfunction when it comes to education. 
they're communicating or reading without comprehension. But it's not just us. No, I, so again, so, okay, I'll go with that. It's not just us, but when I'm talking about us, I mean, looking at the numbers and looking mm -hmm. at people graduating high school that probably shouldn't have graduated high school or the amount of kids who are getting passed up to different grades in elementary schools that probably shouldn't have gotten passed up. And so now they continue or getting passed until maybe they either drop out of high school or graduate, but they lack basic comprehension. And we can argue that's a lot of people, but that's, that's a problem for us, right? Like I'm thinking about us as black people. That is a problem for us. That's not us as in everyone, because I know some highly intelligent, you know, black people. However, I know far too many who lack basic comprehension and things have to be spelled out for them. And then it's the level of embarrassment that they don't know that and the ego plays a part. So there's so many things that are contributing to us not necessarily knowing or even being able to search the information, but do we even understand what we're reading? Which is sometimes why I like to explain things to people and not and not use the term like dumbing things down, but being very clear about what I'm communicating no, without making an assumption whether you got it or not, just being clear in the steps. That way I'm speaking to everybody. So whether if you didn't get it or you got it, that's cool, but I'm speaking to everybody uh, to make sure that they're clear. And I think being a registered voter is probably the most important part of this conversation, at least at first, at best making sure that you're registered because you can go to the Chamber of Commerce, you can go to SBU, but if you are not a registered voter, then what you need to say or what you learn and realize you want to be empowered to say doesn't count because you still need to be able to use your vote. And this is not really talking about what's happening um, nationally with the presidency and we a lot of us feel robbed but for local things to really make an impact on where you live yeah you do need to be a part of that conversation and voting is literally the first step so you know maybe this moment that we are experiencing now will be the catalyst to bring about a lot of the things that you have just said. Because we're hearing from different corners of, of, of the issue. We're, we're hearing from, from, different, from different threads, right? So this unrest that we are experiencing Although it, it the the present unrest started or stemmed from police brutality and and murder, other things are now presenting themselves as challenges that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And so, hopefully we will have the broader conversation about what 
racial injustice is, right? So it's not only police brutality, but it is voter suppression, voter disenfranchisement, wealth disparities, health disparities, education disparities, every other kind of disparity that Blacks are disparate in. And so even image disparities, right? So today, I think, or either yesterday, in the news, Aunt Jemima is not going to be a thing anymore. I, first of all, I'm over them. I'm not, I don't even care about Aunt Jemima. <laughs> like, not dismissing what you're saying. It took y'all 130 years to realize that was racist. These I don't think they realize. Companies are just acting like they just, like they just discovered black people. This is what I'm talking about, white people, white people in. It's just them clamoring to keep our money. It's like they're realizing we're in an uproar, we're not playing. Not only are they more aware, but they're removing their dollars and we need it. So you know what? Uh, let me give you um, Juneteenth. If I get one more email today telling me a white ass company is taking off, they're giving a holiday for Juneteenth, and then have the nerve, one company put a link to learn more about Juneteenth. Here, check this PBS special out. So you just straight trying to benefit from my day off. You didn't say, like, because you benefiting from that day off. You clamoring because you want me to, like, no, I'm over it. That just, don't send me on a rampage on that one because I'm over it. I don't, I don't think that that's what we wanted. I can't speak for every Black person on this earth, but that's not what I'm interested in. Yes, cool. Give me give me a day off. But in all intensive purposes, like Arizona still doesn't even acknowledge Martin Luther King. And for crying out loud, that's a federal holiday. Right. So you pandering to me right now is not what I need. Like you're just discovering black people. We've been black. And your mama been racist. Blackface been racist. And people are doing it and laughing. And I just feel like there's one side who was just like, well, we need to do whatever we need to do to put out the statement and say something so they understand we're supported. But Aunt your mama been racist. So maybe yeah. we need to do a social media campaign or uh, something to encourage Black folks to create pancakes there. We don't have to do that because it's already there. Oh, okay. It's already well, there. We just got to look at it. We I'm have to use our little smart black fingers on our smartphones and start Googling. Black it's syrup. Black-owned syrup. There's, I'm sure there's natural syrup. I'm sure there's vegan syrup. Like, I'm sure there are plenty of things, but those companies don't always have the money to really do national marketing reaches. So it's a matter of, of us being dedicated and going to look for it. So then, you know, that could be the, the thing that we need to do. And again, as I mentioned, I've noticed on some of my own social media platforms, there are lists that are put together that are curated that highlight black businesses that you know black people can and 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 should patronize so i just actually did a a google search for um black owned syrup mm -hmm. and um i see something called michelle's syrup it was a 
launched in 84, 1984. Um, so yeah, there, there's black owned syrup out there. There's uh, also, I just saw this new rest and it's not a new restaurant, but I just saw, so have you ever been to Cracker Barrel? Yes. So Cracker Barrel is the most racist plantation ass restaurant I've ever been to in my life. If you want a plantation experience, go to Cracker Barrel. I'm telling you, I felt so uncomfortable, but I just wanted to see what this place was because I always see it on the highway uh -huh. um, by rest stops. And it was a it was a very interesting vibe in there. It was it was interesting. However, everything is farm to plate. So eggs, farm to plate, ham, mm -hmm. farm to plate, bacon. Okay, so there was this article that I read the other day, and I probably need to find it, uh, where this Black woman owns a restaurant that's similar. So it's a part of Black farming, and it's food to plate. And I thought that was cool. I would be willing to support that because I wouldn't get um, plantation vibes and it's a black business, but it's something that's starting up in other areas, right? So it's just not like, I'm tired of seeing black owned restaurants. I appreciate them. Thank you. But how much soul food can I eat when it's killing us? Can we like come up with something else <laughs> can i see more juice bars can i see black owned laundry mats can i see you know a black owned supermarket can i see a black owned meat market i remember in the bronx like there was this meat market we used to travel all the way to third avenue and i think 172nd across the street from webster projects mm -hmm. um it was a meat market that was black owned like, can I see more of that? And I don't even, I think he sold it because he got really old and I'm assuming maybe he didn't have kids to leave it to or whatever, but he eventually sold it. Um, there was Jackie Cleaners on 183rd and what was that? Grand Avenue, 182nd. I grew up seeing a black man own a cleaners. He retired and sold it to these Asians because he didn't have anybody to give it to. And partly because there was no other young black people who had the money to buy it. So can I see us fill in these gaps and the things that we need on a day-to-day -day basis? Can I, like, I don't want us to just, yes, it's great to be in Target and have black brands in Target, but everybody can't afford small businesses to produce at the amount of the demand that Target needs. So can I see a black owned Target on a smaller scale? Can I see at least a Black-owned Woolworth, 99 cent store? Like, can I see it? So this goes back to the notion of a market economy. If there is a strong enough demand for it, then what should happen is producers should respond to that demand. But that's why I don't think that that's accurate when it comes to us, because one, do we even know how to go about getting those things started? Two, do we have the resources or are we clear about the resources we need to get those things started? And three, do we have, you know, are we willing to put in the risk, the time and the sacrifice to get there? So one of the things that I noticed that was really interesting, um, when 125th, that 
Pathmark was closing and it was such a big deal. We heard rumors about it in the mm-hmm. community that all of these different path marks were going to shut down. Yeah. And right before it was too much. Uh, it, it was heartbreaking when, when the one closed down near me, I was going down memory lane and remembering every Thanksgiving Eve that I spent in there before. <laughs> No, I think the biggest thing, when I think about those part, of course, going into Pathmark, 24 hours, going to grab what you need, depending on which one you went to, it was real ratchet or you would find what you need. But either way, it was a staple in the community that was providing jobs. And what happened? Whole Foods come the 125th. Um, the people who owned the lot for Pathmark sold it to someone else so that they can put condominiums there. And two weeks before Thanksgiving, people were finding out that they were losing their jobs. It was about 16 path marks that was going to close indefinitely. And so if you're familiar with Harlem and 125th and uh, Lenox, uh, Lexington Avenue, you'll know that all of that's the east side. Like there's nothing but apartment buildings, residential areas. So where the hell is the nearest supermarket that these people are going to go to? They can't afford no Whole Foods. You buy four items in Whole Foods and it's like $65, $70. It's your whole check. Whole check. So not only did you have, so I received an influx of people at the time with the contract that I was with. Uh, we were helping people get back to work. There was the man that came into my office and I remember explaining, like asking, like, cause I'm such a resourceful person. Like, all right, so you're about to lose your job in two weeks. Cool. They have 401k. I know that they was given 401k and you know, you, did you invest in it? He was there for 20 years. Um, he was there for 15 years working in the meat department. Okay. So you did your 401k? No, I didn't. I didn't do the 401k, but they were matching. No. Okay. How much money do you have in your savings? He didn't have a savings. He was literally living check to check with three different kids. We had this whole conversation about 401ks and the importance of it and where that would have put him 15 years later with them closing down and them matching it. I think they were matching it at the time. They were matching it like 4%. Because mm-hmm. he was already past past the threshold mark, he broke down and cried because all he was going to have was the two weeks paycheck. Wow! And it was right before Thanksgiving, which was right before Christmas, and I felt so horrible because he was like, "Sis, nobody ever explained to me that this is how four hundred one k works." I didn't know that this was something that I needed. I just figured this was an extra $20 out of my check that I couldn't afford to lose. And so that's what I mean about like information. Like we can say that the information is online, political information, economic information, but it's so much to sift through that sometimes we need people to break it down, to really connect the dots and tell me, make it make sense for me. So don't talk to me like I'm, you know, in these corporate offices, make it make sense to me. And so I say that to say, it's just like, we're losing out on so many fronts because no one is there to explain it to us. And so for us who have the ability to break things down, I do feel like maybe we need to probably break it down a little more for people. I do think that we probably need to 
walk people into understanding or having a better understanding because just going online and the internet and searching for things mm-hmm. is not, it gives you so many results. You don't know what to look for, or how to validate things that intimidates people who don't, who aren't disciplined enough to want the benefit that they're searching for. And I know that we can't say that, oh, well, that's not my problem. You're a grown ass adult, but no, we are each other's problem. I can't be the only one winning and you still struggling because I'm winning and it's a hundred of you that's struggling. No, I got to make sure that I'm giving back in some way, shape or form. And I just feel like that situation, what happened to Pathmark, how people in that community was impacted. Not everybody on that staff, there was a 340, there was 242 people who worked at that specific location. Only 60 of them were relocated. The options to be relocated was to go to one in further downtown Manhattan or in Queens. But I live in this area. How can I spend the money to go there? So it's like, I feel like had they shown up at these community board meetings, had they been a part of the conversation, Yes. Right? That's key. When you see something that's coming in your neighborhood or somebody's coming to do, we ha- we can't leave our elders to be the only ones who's hooting, hooting and hollering and yelling because they're tired. They did that for us. So when they go, who's going to these community board people? The gentrifiers. And they're going in to gentrify to get what they want, the whole foods that they could afford on those expensive salaries with $3,000 um, studio apartments in Harlem. Like, I really want, this is like a topic that really fires me up because we can't afford to be left out of economic conversations or political conversations. I'm not okay with us feeling like we are, how do we keep up? It's just always something. You're right. It is always something. But at the end of the day, if we could sit there and be in tune with Ratchet TV and be in tune with the new artists who's coming out and listening to music and buying the latest things, we can be involved in conversations that are detrimental to our livelihood. So how do we move from being stuck, right? Take action. No, I get that. But is the the first step the community board or community-based organizations? Sure, I think I, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, go ahead. No, is it nonprofit organizations? Is it, um, it's it's probably, I don't know, it's probably a combination of those things. I think it's a combination. I think it starts with, let me go online and find out what my community zone is. What's my community zone? What, what board do I belong to in my community? Who is the, what's the next election coming up that is not national? Who's my city council? Is that the first person that I'm supposed to go to when I have a problem in my community? When the potholes on my street or when the police are coming to my street or if I don't feel that my streets are being clean or the garbage are being picked up, like what is, what is wrong with my community? 
I know I don't own my home. I know I'm renting, but I am still here. I am still valuable. I am still someone and I'm adding to this state. I'm adding to my community. So how can I fix this? So maybe thinking about what the problems are in your community immediately that you don't like mm-hmm. and figure out when's the next, who's the person that I need to speak to. If it's a city council person, then okay, then I need to get to the city council's office. Let me find out where this office is and who I need to have a conversation with. And I know it could get tiring and it could be, you know, people were giving you a runaround because to be honest, most of these electric, elected officials are lazy. When it comes to black communities, they don't, they're not used to putting in any effort. They're used to putting in the effort that sounds good when it's time for them to be elected because they know that we're not advocating or fighting for the things that we need to. It's time that we put their asses to work. They need to be put to work. So if you got to rotate or if you have to, you don't know where your community board meeting is, how about you start one? in the lobby of your building, having a conversation with people. Hey, here's the problem. How many robberies are happening in your area? How many community centers do you have in your area? That's important, especially if you have young people. You got little people, so do we have any more? I remember having all of these different after-school programs growing up. I was able to go after school. I was able to learn how to make chocolates. I was able to learn how to make cupcakes, um, like do little cooking classes. I was in theater workshop. So it's interesting because with the, in in New York, and I'm not quite sure what's happening uh, where you are in your neck of the woods, but- There's a lot of stuff happening because there's money here. They don't in, in, here. In New York City, uh i think maybe new york state they're going to defund uh the 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 new york city uh police department and so so typically what happens whenever they need to balance the budget whenever a, a municipality needs to balance its budget some of the first things that get cut are programs for seniors and programs for children Mm -hmm. and when you cut those programs and and part of the reason i would suggest they cut those programs again going back to this notion of a market economy if you are not producing or contributing in some way monetarily to the system you are viewed as a taker and so when they need to balance the budget they cut programs from people that they view as takers and then they redistribute that money to or those funds to people that they or programs that they view as uh, contributors or, or producers and so you are in part, I would imagine, able to take all of those after-school programs is because they were funded. A lot of programs are not funded, and so children don't have the opportunity to take these after-school programs. Hopefully that will change, 
And with some of the money that is defunded and shifted away from the police department uh, budgets in New York City, they'll be able to fund and re reestablish some of those social programs and after school programs for the development of the next generation and for the care of our seniors. So then that means when they defund, which I think is very important, but we need to be a part of the conversation, which means one, we need to be registered voters. Number two, we need to know when our elected official meetings and and hearings are. We need to know that. And, and so this otherwise is, we won't be making the rule, like we won't be deciding about right. where it goes because then we'll still we're still considered the takers. And but and so this what what we're discussing is a very prime example of the interconnectedness or the 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 interconnectivity between politics and the economy. Right? And so hence this notion of the political economy. Decisions are made from a political standpoint on what's going to happen economically or how we're going to reposition our resources and who's going to get those resources and and who's going to have those resources taken away so this is essentially the political economy i would suggest in action uh, the the whole notion of defunding the police and where that money is going to be shifted to so what does and i'm glad you brought this up because this i think defunding the police is really important but the way the narrative is being spent about what defund the police means so i've been seeing all of these you know uh trolls on social media talking about well you all wanted to defund the police so now they can't get involved that's not what defund the police means right and so, yes, that doesn't mean that they're not supposed to do their job and solve crime that means that we're not going to give you this large ass budget for you to police and kill people anymore in communities that you don't belong in and we are going to set standards for that and i'm sure there's that's me paraphrasing in my opinion what i think it means but you can you can be more <laughs> i could be more accurate <laughs> yeah so so right you know and and it's interesting because as many people as there are in a conversation, there are as many viewpoints. And so defund does not mean disband. It does not mean dismantle. It just means, and it doesn't mean totally take away their entire budget. Right? And so in order to make their argument, people will conflate things or frame things in such a way to garner support for their argument. And in a, I can't remember which episode it was that we did, but the police in New York City, and I, I don't know what happens in other municipalities, but they get called for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like they are the cleanup woman. Right? 
right? And so it's just, at, at what point do the police, I wonder, stop and ask, well, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the police, I ain't the cleanup woman, right? So remember some years ago, there was a, a student at Yale, and this made the news. And I think this is before they started calling white women Karen. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, it wasn't funny, but there was a student who was in a common area. She was doing her laundry and she was chilling, just waiting for her laundry to, you know, get done. And she fell asleep. And so in comes a white student. And because it happened, she didn't, it happened at Baruch, was no, it Baruch this, or Columbia? This, this happened at Yale. It may okay. have happened at those other places, but she calls the security officer to say there's a black woman sleeping in the common area for students. And then the security officer arrives and proceeds to ask her to produce her ID. So no, this is Yale University. Um, it's, you know, the, the percentage of times that random black people are just sleeping in com common areas uh, is probably so minuscule that it doesn't even register a percentage. What mm -hmm. the cop, because this white person reported that there was a black person who, you know, is a student sleeping in a area designated for students, um, something must be done about this. Mm -hmm. And the cop proceeded to police her. Uh, but the reason I'm on this campus is because I belong here. Why do I have to prove that I belong here? My laundry is in, you know, the, the, the laundry area. Why do I have to prove this? And so it's just, to, to, to me, interesting that when are the cops going to get a clue and, you know, think about what it is they're being asked to do? Not suggesting that they should disobey orders or not police, but at some point, you know, you got to think maybe I'm getting pimped because... Why would they think that if it's to benefit them? And most of the cops because they're racist-ass cops who see us as leeches and they're being they're being groomed and trained to to diffuse situations that work for them for white people but when it comes to us we're seen as threats so but we there's nothing to them, diffuse but we can't ask them to see us as humans when they don't see us as like we're asking them to do their job with empathy and rationale when that's not how they even see us in the first place I'm if just asking that they think. But you, obviously that's a challenge because they're clearly not that bright, half of them, which is why they're always easily intimidated when you are intellectually challenging them in a way that they feel like, oh no, this is not going to work. You're going to do what I say. It's a power struggle. So that goes also back to this notion of politics. It's the power to decide, right? But it, but, and so going back to the, original thread, people who are against or people who have a particular position with regard to policing are going to conflate 
negative arguments with what it means to defund the police. But here's what I would suggest that needs to happen. When police are defunded and that money gets put into other areas for the social benefit and the social good, the city needs to ensure that people are empowered. So there can't be a vacuum because what what the, the people who are arguing against defunding the police, I would suggest are banking on the fact, are banking on the defunding police correlating with an increase in negative things happening around Black people. Of course they want that. That's the argument. That's like, they're, you got to see their responses. Like people are showing how they really feel. Oh, well, the girl that got hit in the face with um, the skateboard, the boy in Harlem smacked um, because she wouldn't talk to him. And this white man gonna come on. Well, yeah, I asked for the police. So now they can't do nothing because, you know, Black Lives Matter. No, you condescending jerk. That's not who we're talking about. Criminals deserve to be arrested, not killed. And you don't, your job is not to automatically assume that a person of color or a black person is guilty and kill them before they have an opportunity to be um, tried in a jury in a court of law or even just find out if they are part of the problem. I think people are choosing this as an opportunity to misinterpret what we're saying. And the current president is doing it because he's a part of the conversation. Exactly. And I would suggest to you, this goes back to this whole notion of uh, politics and power and the economy. Narratives matter. And whoever is more powerful and has more access to economic assets, typically elites control the narrative. But the, the good news is, is that through rhetorical criticism, we can push back against untrue narratives, use the, the, um, the, I, oh gosh, what is it called? We can use the power of our voices, our marginalized voices to counter false narratives and tell the story from our perspective. And so this watershed moment that we are in is exciting but it has to be sustained because if it's not sustained then we lose all of the momentum that we have gained and you know the last thing anybody wants is for any black life or any death of a black person who has now spawned this this movement to be in vain and, and so there really needs to be a collective, a coming together and awakening, if you will, of black people, of brown people, of allies to push this thing forward, to, to sustain it until we see this, the systemic change, right? And not just these little token things where you're taking Aunt Jemima off the uh, syrup bottle in the box and 
you, you, it's now not going to be Uncle Ben's rice and, and whatever else, and you knock down a few racist statues, there needs to be systemic change in politics and in the economy because those two things together are powerful in deciding who is, who, who is benefited and who, whose interests are benefited and whose interests are marginalized. Uh, I'm frustrated. <laughs> um, I mean, we all are. This is a we, conversation we that I'm, I'm a person who always feels like if there is something I want, I can go get it. If it's something I don't know, I have the ability and the discipline to figure it out and learn it. So my frustration is partly not so much that I feel limited as much as I'm just thinking about as a majority of us. Like, we know that it's set up for us to fail, but this is really going to require us to all be on the same page. And I just think that that is so, it appears to be very difficult when you have people that are very comfortable having random side seats to a table that they think they've earned to someone else's table. Because there's a lot of us who don't really see the problem. There's a lot of us that look like us who look at us like we're the problem. Right. And that that's problem number one, because Harriet Tubman would have shot them. I'm I'm clear. <laughs> like Nat Turner would have shot them. <laughs> like I'm very clear about that. They would not be a part of this conversation. And it's like we can't just go around in one instance, I don't want to just go around canceling black folks because they don't agree with me. Because I don't really want you to agree with me as much as I want us to have common ground and we share the same skin. Mm-hmm. And if and if you're winning and I'm struggling and there's a hundred or a million plus of me that's struggling, I, I need you to not think about you and not judge me based on what you think my options have been based on how you've overcome. And I need you to really shift and be open to helping us move forward as a collective. And that really is going to take for us to really be on the same accord of because we can't even get Black folks to agree about uh, the gentleman that just was killed in Atlanta by the police. I honestly am, I couldn't watch the video because I just refused to watch another live snuff film on social media, a Black person being gunned down or killed. It's horrific, but you still have Black people who are on Twitter talking about, well, he should have just complied, but he did comply. So, you know what? It's it's interesting that you say that. And it it is it is disturbing. I remember doing a doing a I, I don't know if it's a social experiment, but uh it was when I was doing my doctoral work and I had to do a pilot study. And so what I did was replicated a pilot study that was, what I did was replicated a study that was done on white people 
instead of doing it on white people, I did it on uh, black and brown people. So the two instruments that I used were instruments that were designed by, uh, they were designed to measure white belief about uh, black people. And what I essentially did was took those instruments that were designed to measure white beliefs about black people and gave them to black people to measure black people beliefs about black people, but from the perspective of a white person. And it was very interesting because the findings, the, the results of those surveys were that those black and brown students were internalizing negative racial beliefs about themselves. And then in a in HR class that I was teaching, I showed a clip and the clip was, it was a YouTube video about, it, it was it was when, uh, it was in Florida and, and the police had wanted a black guy to stop. He of course didn't feel safe this was around the time of the Trayvon Martins and all of the other, you know, weekly murders of black men. So he drove to a gas station where it was lit and then he parked and the police, you know, followed him there. So then the police asked him for his license and his registration and he is complying. And so to comply with the officer, most people keep their registration in their glove compartment. And so he goes for his glove compartment to get his registration and his insurance and the police shoot him. And then he's, you hear him on the tape, not the tape, you, you can tell how old I am, I said. No, I remember that. Um, name, and, and, he, and he was like, why did you shoot me? I'm doing what it is that you asked. And so I asked the, the uh, students after letting that play, so who was at fault? Was the cop at fault for shooting him? Or was the guy at fault for getting shot? All of those young people in that class said the guy was at fault. And I'm like, how is the guy at fault? Did he not do what the cop said? And they were like, yeah, but he shouldn't have moved in a certain way. And so it has, it, it's, it's just very interesting that the generation behind me and probably behind you as well were able to look at that and come to the conclusion that even though a person was following the orders that were given to them by a law enforcement officer, that they got shot was their own fault. And, and so it, it means that we, we, we believe that we are automatically in the wrong. And so there is nothing that we can do right. And, and, and so whatever happens to us is our own fault. And that that is that is scary. That is disturbing. It's very and, 
and you have a lot of those people who are African Americans who are in positions of power who are a part of oppression, oppressing us because they're in a position to help, but yet they're seeing us through the lenses that everybody else is. And that's problematic because you're working against me and you look like me. Right. Until you end up being in the same situation to where you're judged or you're put in a position to where um, you have to experience what I'm experiencing to realize that it's real, that this is really a problem. Yeah. So there, there definitely, to my mind, needs to be a reorganization of the political economy, uh, the power and the resources needs to be distributed because as long as the political economy is organized the way that it is there are going to be it's going to be a zero-sum game for me to win you have to lose and if you if that means you have to lose that means that in some instances the you have to take the ultimate loss and we take way too many losses. Yeah. At this point, we've been taking losses since we were brought here. And yes, we get these wins. Yes, we aesthetically had a black our black first family in the White House. Yes, we, you know, we do win the Olympics. We do these things, but no. I I need us to really start taking a look at some wins that are not just short-lived and temporary. Um, I want to see us have some wins that our future selves can benefit from, our kids and our grandchildren. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm concerned about the state of Black America. And more importantly, I'm concerned about what Madison is going to be stepping into. And she will have access and privilege because of her mother and my work ethic. However, like, what about the other little black girls and other little black boys who are around her that are not within my reach? That, that's important. I, I would really like us to not just think about, um, see the world and the things that we're doing just solely for us and our families, but more so like us as a whole. Right. And it goes back to linked faith. What happens to me happens to you or impacts you what what where i am is a proxy for where you could be and if what i'm proxying is not good then that means the likelihood and again it's this it's based on the concept of linked faith our faith are linked to one another and our faith is also linked even though a lot of people will argue against this, our fate as black people, the way politics and the economy work in this country are very much tied to the skin we're wrapped in. Mm -hmm. Do we have privilege? Certainly. As, as, a, as a PhD, as, a, as an academic, I do have certain privileges. But the privileges that I have pale in comparison to someone who is wrapped in white skin. Right. Right? As, as 
intelligent as I sound when I dress up and, you know, put the glasses on, not to make me look smart, but so I can see, <laughs> I still get questioned. My glasses make me look smart. That's why I wear them. And they help you see, right? No, I had LASIK surgery like when Maddie was like one, so I don't need them no more. <laughs> you know what? When I see you, <laughs> yeah, I, if I don't wear them, I will walk right into something. Uh, oh, Mr. totally. But we have, so this is not to say that, you know, we're marginalized to way to the margin. We do have privilege, but the privileges that we have pale in comparison to people who are wrapped in a different, you know, color skin as we are. And and what we are able to achieve in some instances is dictated or determined, not totally, but it is in influenced by our phenotype. Whether or not we get in the door or how we are received once we are in the door based on what we look like because of what people think we are or what we should be. And so, so there definitely needs to be a reorganization of the political economy. So on that note, what's your, what's your call to action? Because I feel like we need to have one for the audience today. So for me, just right we, we're going to have an election coming up knowing something about who some of your really really local election people uh candidates are uh, definitely in some way shape or form taking finding maybe two or three free classes that you can take or finding a couple of TEDx talks that can break down for you in a way that you can understand it, a, a complicated topic, like what is politics or what is economics. Starting there, I think, just is a way to get familiar with what some of these concepts are and how they, how they relate. That would be uh, a call to action that I have. Uh, my call to action is, I know I shouldn't just give them multiple things, but I don't care, I'm doing it. <laughs> you pick your lane that works for you. But I want people to make sure that they're registered to vote. I want mm -hmm. people to know what their community zone is. That's important. You have a district number. Who are the elected fish officials in your district or county? And where is that office? And how do you get in contact with them? And if you are on Twitter, I encourage you to follow them on Twitter because they have Twitter handles. They, there are definitely a lot of city council and people in politics who make decisions who are on Twitter. And even if you, you know, you delayed or you haven't taken the class yet, just watching the tone of the room and seeing the conversation just sitting by and just kind of looking at that and observing it is really important. So you can start to feel like, okay, you need to be a part of these conversations, even if you're asking them questions directly. 
Um, I also want to make sure that people are know when their next community board meeting is. I want you to know when it is. I want you to know where it is. And I want you to go take a seat and get to know the people in that meeting. Observe the people who are doing the most talking. Observe the people, the person who it seems to be more connected with the people on the board because that person is probably running things or keeping the temperament. They're, that person is either working in one or two ways. They're either working for you or for themselves to benefit in the community, to keep your temperature down. Either way, I want you to know who are the players and who are the people that are having conversations in your community. And I think once you get involved in that type of local conversation, it will inspire you to be a part of the bigger conversations because you're gonna realize how much is going on and how many decisions are being made about you and your children and your community that no one is even talking to you about. Okay. So we are gonna, we've been on like almost two hours. Our podcast has never been 30 minutes <laughs> in the history since we have been doing these podcasts which is cool, but, um, so do you have a book suggestion? Actually, I do. It is The Great Transformation, and it's a book by uh, Carl Polanyi. He is a political economist. Um, and it's pretty much talks about the political economy uh, and the commodification of everything and, and humanity's economic mentality. So The Great Transformation by Carl Polanyi is my book recommendation. Hmm. Uh, that sounds like a good one. I actually don't have one. <laughs> I have one in mind, but uh, I don't know. I don't have one this episode. Okay. Maybe well, I'll like, put it in the show notes uh, when I can think about it later, but I don't yeah. have one. Okay. So any final thoughts? Final thoughts. I want more for us as a people. And I know that saying that doesn't make me better than my people. It just means I feel like we need to hear that more. I know that we have been like making jokes about the help because I finally just seen it for the first time last week. And, you know, even though that part was funny, but <laughs> you say you are kind, you is smart and you is important. Like. I feel that. I feel like, I, I don't even want to say I feel like this is, we are at war for our lives. Mm. We are Black women who are fighting for the basic necessities of life. Right. We are fighting for Black men, for our fathers, for our brothers, our husbands, our sons. We are fighting for our daughters. We're fighting for ourselves, but we're also fighting each other in a lot of 
violent ways. And I, I want more for us. I want us to be able to look in the mirror and have love for ourselves so that we can start to really love each other collectively. Because really, that's what it's a part of. Like, if you don't really love you, how can you love me and appreciate me? Mm. So I don't think that we're all on the same accord. And I do understand that we are, you know, a lot of our behaviors that are toxic have been taught. We've been conditioned to be this way. But there is an awakening happening, whether people want to hear it or not. Um, things are shifting and we need to realize, yes, we are important. We are smart. We are the creators and the uh, the visionaries. We are the influencers of the world. And people take from us constantly. And I really want us to realize and recognize our own power that anything that we need and we want to accomplish, like we are enough. Even if you go into the mirror and just look at yourself and say that every morning you wake up with coal in your eyes, with your stinky morning breath, with your edges raggedy, whatever is happening, your beard not combed. Yes, out with your hot breath. I want you to look in the mirror and say, I am enough. I have value. I don't care if you're not going to believe it the first time. By the second or the third time, by the 30th day, you will not only believe it, but you will feel it. I need us to start there. That is my final thought and my call to action. I want people to understand that they are enough. You are enough. Well, all right. And I think your final thoughts are enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> what a great way to silence me. Like, what a great way to silence me. Right. I didn't mean it like that. But <laughs> I think I think what I meant is that I think it's a great note to end on. And uh thank you for reminding not only me, but our listeners to affirm themselves. Affirmations are key. Uh, Thank you so much, everyone. I'm really excited. We have a Twitter and an Instagram now. We is popping. Episode six. We are on the hills. Yeah, so our episode, uh, this episode is being recorded uh, a few days before Juneteenth. So, I really see all of the posts coming out and sharing amongst people, being excited about Juneteenth. I am happy that we're excited about it, that we are embracing it. There will be no cookouts from Black people on 4th of July. We are Juneteenth all day. So please follow us on Twitter, uh, Hear Me Podcast on Twitter or Hear Me Podcast on Instagram. Drop us a note in the comments. Tell us what you think. Is there a topic you want us to discuss? Um, we we pre-planned, so we recorded all of our episodes. Uh, but after they start releasing, and we're releasing this Friday, our first episode, we'll start to be more relevant and be in the current weeks of things. But just let us know what you think about our podcast, what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear. Um, anything that you would like to talk about. If there is anyone who wants to be a part of these conversations, who wants to be a part of, you know, 
pushing black women forward, pushing our culture forward. Just let us know so we can interview them and have them on. Um, thank you so much for joining us, listening to us, sharing with us. We love y'all. Leslie, Big Les? Yes, Big Les is here. How can I help you? Would you like guys with that? No, I'm just <laughs> Drive around, please. <laughs> Oh, we say yes. Well, just to echo Lanier, we're very, very excited about this venture. We are looking forward to releasing our episodes and just, you know, having conversations with other women. We definitely are trying to create legacies and build uh, relationships and bridge divides because we we have to look out for one another we are all we have and so it is my responsibility to uplift and empower and it is your responsibility to uplift and empower as well and hopefully we can get to the mountaintop together yes yes so it's been real peace y'all on that note, it's a Rizzi. Thank you for joining us. You can catch our latest episodes every Tuesday. Hear Me is on Spotify and iTunes. And it's executive produced by me, Leslie Branch, and Lanier Logan. And big thanks to Lil Salastro who produced the beat. Till next time, hear me.